At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. There are so many amazing free plugins available for download right now to help you with your production and mixing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash plugins to download and get access to a bunch of free and premium plugins on Plugin Boutique. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lucky Lou. I'll take it. I am feeling pretty lucky. I'm not going to lie. You're feeling pretty lucky. Lou is feeling pretty lucky today. Not What makes you feel lucky today? I don't know. Uh, the fact that I woke up. <laughs> 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 just general sense of gratitude feeling pretty lucky i guess oh, it's yeah. better like uh uh yeah i guess it's good to consider yourself lucky at all times that's a good mindset to have yeah honestly speaking like uh uh i'm definitely physically feeling better than i did when we went to the grammys i wore the same suit yesterday when i went to magic castle looked in the mirror and i'm like I'm making this thing look good. Talk, talk about Grammys. Um, we didn't talk about this off off air, but uh, are you? Did you get tickets already? I have not yet. Okay, I bought tickets last week, and nice. um, if uh, once you get them, uh, let's. If you want to schedule something together, we can go together. Yeah, I, I got me for me and my wife, and I'm not doing the after party. Yeah, I'm not doing the after party. Either. I'm not doing the after party. Yeah, I, to be I mean, honest, last everybody time, has an after party. Yeah, last time we went, uh, we would have been too tired to go to it anyway. So yeah. Also, I'm not planning on doing like the afternoon thing. I don't know because no, I not. have to find a sitter. So we'll yeah. probably just do the evening thing. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. We're really grateful that you subscribe, that you've left us a five star review. We're thankful that you are here listening in, checking us out, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening in on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever the heck you're listening on. Anyway, today's episode is all about committing. Um, while recording, meaning that I remember we were talking about this earlier before off air, we were talking about how when we were starting audio recording and mixing, it was difficult to commit going on the way in. For example, 
Um, doing EQ and compression while recording drums, while recording vocals, while recording guitar. It was scary to go out of the box and commit to those things on the way in, just in case, because we've always been told that you want to keep it as raw as possible so you can manipulate the audio later. That's a safer thing to do. Um, and, but now it's like, we don't even think about it. It's definitely not scary to commit to different things with EQ and compression. I want to talk about why it was scary, what we kind of learn and what the purpose of that is, because at the end of the day, um, it is way easier to just make everything super dry and just to keep it super static. But we're going to talk about the science, not necessarily science, but why we believe it's going to help you in the long run to be able to commit to things and how you can kind of train yourself to commit to things. So uh, is this you? Let me describe this situation. Is this you? You have to record a band and maybe just if you have the opportunity and the gear to do so, you need to record eight to 16 channels at once, maybe an entire drum kit, the bass player, two guitars and a vocalist. Um, maybe that's not normal for a home home studio session, but I've also, it's not like totally uncommon in a home studio session. And you record everything live at once. Uh, you're kind of trying to do sound check. And you've been told before maybe that you don't want to commit to anything. or or And you've also been told you do want to commit to help you save time. Or just like, you know, put in the EQ, put in the compression now. Maybe there's been times where you accidentally committed to compression and didn't sound good and you had to re-record. Uh, maybe that you committed to compression and you recorded compression on the way in. And this is not just outboard gear, by the way. You can do the same thing with and Universal Apollo. Audio. Yeah, with yeah. Apollo. Um, recording through the plugins on the way in. Um, that's the easiest digital way to do that. Yeah, Apogee has something similar. So does Antelope. But you know, the Apollo is the most universally known format to do that on. Yeah, so there's that. So, Lou, let's talk us through this. Do you remember being not is scared the right word being intimidated by the idea of committing to an EQ and compression in your, in your first couple years? Oh yeah, definitely. I remember, um, going to a studio here in LA called ES audio when I first started, this is over 12 years ago. And, um, it was the first time I got to work on one, an actual analog console two uh, with a ton of outboard gear that I had only heard about. Right. Well, the funny thing here is that, the owner, uh, believe he goes by D alone. Um, funny enough, but um, he had set me up with the 1073 and 1176, and um, I think it was Aventone's. What was it? The BV one. It's like the beefy, thicker mic that they were making for a while. The tube mic. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, like it sounded great at first, but then they're like, "Oh, can we make the vocals a little louder?" And then I remember just kind of thinking, "I'm like." Should I just turn it up in Pro Tools or do I turn up the gear? We're running through the gear. I turned up the gain and it started to distort. And I was like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. And since then, I just stopped using outboard gear for like a good year because I was just too scared to fuck it up again. Mm. Yeah. So there was there was a time where it literally caused the session to go sour. Not that it wasn't like you know, fixable later. Thankfully there wasn't enough distortion in between takes to where we just made it characteristically part of it, but it was never actually intentional. It was by mistake. And because of that, it scared me too much to use outboard gear later. 
Mm. Yeah. So this is actually a great point. Like the the more outboard gear that you use, the more things that you introduce into a signal, mm-hmm. right? Um, for example, to patch in a compressor mm. alone by itself, just one yeah. compressor for a vocal, for example, you in, you add in one, two, three, four, five more areas opportunities for error or for uh, at least five so i'm thinking like okay so compared to just plugging it in directly into your interface and using the onboard preamp Mm -hmm. you have to one get an out out of the box preamp you have to get a separate preamp you have the cable that could fail going into the out out of the um box compressor so so cable from the mic no that's normal cable Mm -hmm. from the mic okay you have the outboard preamp itself which could fail you have the the cable going out of it, which could fail. The ca- the the actual compression box, which could fail. The cable coming out of it, which could fail. So I I just named four points. But you're adding each time you add another piece of gear. Let's say you're adding an EQ, and then maybe you're going through a patch bay through an EQ. You're adding potential uh, points of failure yeah. that becomes harder and harder to diagnose the more complicated it is. So especially when you're starting off, like. The fact that you just didn't use anything for the next year, that makes sense because being in the box is at least it's, it's a lot easier to diagnose. Yeah. What did you what did you learn from that? How did you eventually get back into it? You just so, decided to commit again or it's kind of funny. I did a very reckless thing, which was like, you know, it did sound better running through the gear at first, like compared to at home I had like a task cam interface at the time, right? Okay, cool. Well, it did arguably sound better. So I went out and I bought a bunch of gear um, and I didn't know what I was buying fully. Like at a certain point, I think I bought a compressor, but no preamp. Uh, smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to do that? You have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Out and in. Yeah, exactly. There's no way to commit I, to that. <laughs> we're talking about when I first started. I was like 18, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. 19. Uh, but Do you remember which compressor you got? Yes. It was the four channel Behringer compressor. Oh really? Yeah, the silver faces. So you really just wanted to try compression outboard gear. That was that was really the Yeah. The goal was to get better at it. So then I invited a bunch of friends over and uh I told them like, hey, if you have ideas that you just want to record, just come through. Like I've got this new piece of gear that I want to try out. And after like a year, um finally going back to other studios, because it's not like I stopped going to studios. I just simplified my workflow. Um, but then I started saying, okay. I want to try this 1176 LA-2A combo. I want to try this. I want to try that. But I went in with more knowledge of how I should approach using outboard gear than when it was pre-set up by the studio and I had no idea what I was doing. Hmm. You know, like at our studio, we always set up the the classic chain everybody wants, which is the Eden to the 1073 to the TubeTech CL1B, right? Um, and we typically, I tell everybody, leave some default settings that typically sound good. But we also know that not everything sounds good for everybody, right? So I always, whenever I set up for a client and I get to meet the client, I always tell them if you need anything or if you want to change the settings on the gear and you just need some help with that, feel free to ask. Because I also know how intimidating it is sometimes to just be left alone in a room and be like, I wish I had a little more game, but I don't know what to touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know how to gain stage everything. Yeah. But um, actually, this brings up, I have a question that I wanted to ask. Honestly mm-hmm. speaking, and this is something that I'm thinking about right now. If someone asks us, for example, it, in hindsight now, with your knowledge now, 
one, I think it's really important to practice whether you get some gear on your own to learn how signal signal flow works or watch a bunch of videos on how signal flow works um, or rent a studio, go to like if you're going to school for it, then really dive deep behind the console, behind the patch band, figure out how everything is routed. I think that is incredibly important, which you talked yeah. about, like having everything already patched in versus setting it up yourself. Yeah. I think there's value in setting it up yourself to learn how the signal flow works. Um, but in retrospect, I was going to ask you, uh, the reason why we have outboard for the recording process is mm -hmm. to save time, to be efficient, right? Yeah. Like, um, we, so we don't have to compress as much later or maybe so we don't blow up the headphones or the monitoring so they can yell and, and it'll compress and it, they won't scare themselves, yeah. you know, for whatever the reason. Uh, if now, if you only had a few hundred bucks, mm -hmm. is it better to go 100% dry in the box or use plugins on the way in? Or is it better to have a two or three hundred dollar or less Behringer type compressor? Like mm. weighing the benefits of having something out of the box or okay. doing nothing to maintain fidelity? I say it's better to have something out of the box. Really? Okay. Yeah. Main reason is this everybody needs to get over themselves, everybody needs to get over their fear. Um, so I'm the not saying that it's better, I'm just saying that. You should learn to commit at some point. It's just like anybody's relationship. You can't just string them along forever. You, at some point, you got to learn to commit, right? Well, with EQ and compression, if you ever want to be taken to a major studio and have people have confidence in you, you have to show you know what you're doing. You know how to dial in on the way in and everything. Um, and one of the biggest notes I've ever been given on a mix, I wasn't told directly, but I was told by the artist, um, Terrace Martin was part of the record and he listened to a mix and told the guy, he's like, it sounds like you guys are mixing too safe, mm. which I didn't understand at the time, but after a few months of like really thinking of what that meant and listening to his mixes, cause you know, he's a mixing engineer as well as a producer and his mixes are really, really good. The low end is always uh, phenomenal and everything. But I also heard how like sometimes like, you could hear the compression. You could hear what he's doing and it's intentional. And so part of learning to commit with outboard gear, learning how to be a little more confident with it is learning how to be a little more intentional with doing more or less. Yeah. So this is interesting. So the point that you brought out was the practicality of using outboard compression, both to save you time and to save you effort later. Mm -hmm. And to save the singer's ears or, you know, yeah. to get better performing uh, recordings, better yeah. performed recordings, um, is actually worth the potential sonic degradation, degradation of having cheaper gear. Yeah. So, to be fair, what we're not saying, like, and the learning opportunity that comes yeah. from it. So, I do think, I, I'm actually, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel, but now that you've said that out loud, I actually agree with you. I do think that if you've never worked with outboard gear before mm -hmm. um, and you don't have experience and you want to take this seriously as a career um, and you want to take this seriously as a learning opportunity, I think having cheap pieces of gear, not blowing over your budget and not being able to pay rent is a different thing, right? Yeah. But um, having cheap, affordable gear just for the learning process and the basic practicality is worth the potential sonic degra degradation of cheap gear. 
Yeah. Because one, they wouldn't sell the cheap gear if it really degraded the Sonics that bad. Like yeah. it wouldn't sell. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's nice to have at least like one, maybe a second channel of outboard EQ or compression, or even if it's just the UAD mixer console, like yeah. using that. Um, because the concept is like learning from it and learn to commit and figuring out what yep. you like. That That's an interesting point. I've never really thought about that. I always thought like the basic instinct for me was like, hey, don't get cheap gear. Wait till you can afford the nice stuff. But you got to start somewhere. It's like yeah. it's like buying a car, right? You don't buy the Phantom out the gate. You know, you buy the beat up Civic and you destroy the living shit out of it. And then you learn why it broke. You know, you don't break it on purpose. You try to make it last as long as you can, but you got to use it. Yeah. Come on. It's your first car. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget to do you the gotta, oil gotta, change gotta, one day and your car is going to scream at you on the freeway. Find the limits, you know, yeah. um, like, for example, even with the Behringer gear, it's like how much signal can you go into it before it starts distorting? And you know, how, how quick you can make the attack and release time at the same time before it starts distorting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest uh, flashbacks I'm having right now about having that Behringer was not that it was Behringer. It's that I had some kind of outboard gear that I was practicing with and how excited I was just to have outboard gear that I could call my own that I was using and then wanting to dive deep with it. It was exciting to have it because, one, I wasn't risking any studio time on it. You know, I I remember thinking when I bought it, like, oh, I don't have to pay for studio time to have this. I have this at home now. But I also didn't fully think it through because the excitement was so strong that i forgot oh you need a preamp before the compressor yeah yeah so you're you're bound to make mistakes whether it's with the compression or the purchase itself um i get dms all the time they're like oh i'm thinking about buying a tube tech what do you think and my first question is always like do you have a preamp and you i kid you not it's like half the time they say no i'm like well you could buy it but there's no way you're gonna get signal out of it outside of boosting 30 decibels on the output gain, which I don't know if you noticed, but the tube tech has quite a bit of output gain available. Yeah. Um, I have noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because some people were actually using them as preamps. Uh, really? Yeah. The same way they were using 1176s as preamps. Um, you would just drive the shit out of the signal. <laughs> it didn't sound great, but it, it worked. And the tube tech being marketed as a clean compressor, people were using it as a way of boosting gain. That's why you see people with like the 1073s at like minus 20. And you're like, that's not enough signal. But then you see the tube tech cranked up because the tube tech is a cleaner output than the Neve. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I've never thought about doing that. Yeah. That's things that I kind of learned accidentally uh, with the Behringer. It was just cause like, you're just experimenting, you're trying it out. If there's no risk outside of having to spend a few bucks, then buy some cheap gear, but just don't build a studio off of cheap gear. Cause the more you grow, eventually people will take note. And uh, we talked about this earlier about how like you had an opportunity to, uh, for some new work because you had gear, which attracted the client and that's okay. A lot of clients are going to be attracted to whatever they're attracted to. Right. But at a certain tier, once you have nothing but cheap gear, then certain tiers of clients might look back and say, mm, this is a cheaper cost location. I w- I, yeah. So on that note, I do think that for most home or even commercial studios, you should not have racks and racks of cheap gear. Yeah. The reason why we're saying that and why we're thinking that it's okay to have cheap gears for the learning process. Mm-hmm. I even think like, even if you know how 
you know, going out of your interface and coming back in theoretically, you know how it works or patching things in using your cheap TRS patch bay. Like even Mm -hmm. if you know how it theoretically works, it's very different and you solidify um, your theories once you actually do it in practice. So if you've never done it before, um, you can actually learn a lot from just patching in outboard gear. And that, I think that learning experience is actually very valuable. Maybe even worth the value of cheap outboard gear stuff. Yeah. Um, let alone the practicality of committing to things on the way in. Um, another thought that I had as well is actually not how to get the benefit of learning. Maybe not the benefit of learning how to patch things in or how to connect things, but how to get the benefit of of committing Mm-hmm. And saving time and being more efficient mm-hmm. without the outboard gear. Now, we talked about Apollo, mm-hmm. but in Pro Tools, and I'm sure with other DAWs, there's ways of doing this. Um, we've seen, for example, TZO talks about for Chris Brown, he commits the auto-tune on the way in. Yep. And the way that you do that is actually by, in Pro Tools, it would be you you build an aux. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the microphone or the signal be directly routed to the input of the audio channel, it goes into the aux then out of the aux goes to a bus, let's say bus one, and the audio input track is bus one. Mm-hmm. So it actually, your the mic input is actually going through an aux track, which feeds a record track, and you put plugins on the aux track. So if you put plugins like AutoTune on the record track, it's not committing the audio, it's recording the audio raw, but then you're monitoring back through the Pro Tools. But if you put the Pro Tools on the aux track, what whatever's coming out of that aux track is being recorded on the record track so you mm-hmm. can commit to that and i think this is actually a free way to learning how to commit and being brave yeah. now this saves the reason why tzio records the auto tune is because he's not he knows he's not going to rechange the auto tune on uh after the session is over like he knows with chris brown like it's faster significantly yeah. faster and easier to make sure that he's monitoring with auto-tune on and whatever they record is what they get. Whatever they yep. monitor in here is what's going to be on if the If it record. warbles, it warbles, just do another take. Exactly. So they're able yeah. to commit to that and don't have to... So, like, I actually think specifically with that, like, if they uh, have raw vocals, but they change the auto-tune setting on accident, now they don't have the exact way that it glitched. And yeah. it might sound different from what they heard while monitoring themselves in the booth. Yeah. So, um, and AutoTune is committing just one thing, but uh, I do think that that's a free way that you can actually learn and be brave and have the uh, the benefits of committing audio, even with EQ and compression. Yep. I mean, l- now let me ask you why. Let's talk about EQ specifically. Why would someone like you or I, um, who in the recording process? want to use EQ on the way in? Why wouldn't we just do it all after it's recorded? A lot of times uh, it's true. We're going to default by saying we're saving time, right? That's kind of it. Uh, More realistically, wouldn't you want to, as an artist, monitor yourself in the best light of what is potentially there? Cool. So if you're an engineer or if you are the engineer and you know that there's a buildup around 500 hertz, 230 hertz is kind of getting boomy or something. Why wouldn't you shelf it down a little bit? Like you wouldn't have one. Yeah, you wouldn't have to do it later. But two, the better the artist sounds in their headphones, the more confidence they have and the more of a performance they can give based around that confidence. Now, 
part of committing on the way in is also making sure that the artist is comfortable with themselves. Now, some people will put all the processing on their buses and here's a reason why that ox routing is a good idea for committing. If you don't have outboard gear, learn how far you can push your plugins before too much latency is involved. A lot of people route their record tracks to the bus directly and then to the output that usually causes a ton of latency. But if you just put the plugin directly on your record track, like it's usually not that big of an issue. So if you're going to go the committing route, it's the same thing. You're just going to run a plugin. Yeah. Latency will be an issue if you do that. But exactly. But if you learn to actually see what plugins work and how much you can push them and everything, you're also learning. Okay. For recording purposes, certain plugins work better than other. Um, this one gives me a little more flexibility for what I need and this and that. And you can start making decisions based off of that. And some people like the Apollo users will actually learn what outboard gear they like because most of the emulations that Apollos make are of outboard gear. They have a few that are just digital plugins. But if you've never used a 1073 before, you should use a 1073 on your record track and see what happens. See if you like it. See if you can dial it in and see if you can get the vocals to sound better on the way in already. Is my Apollo that was in B, is it mm-hmm. in It's storage? an A. Oh, it's an A right now. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're using it. Um, I when I was recording a lot, mm-hmm. uh, that Apollo and using the record feature mm-hmm. in the mixer window was so amazing. Yeah, and honestly, if you're constantly recording, whether that's at home, uh, I do think, and without using any of the cable, the potential error points, just having the the UA mixer, or if you already have UA. I would recommend learning how to use it or getting UA because that shit is amazing. Like yeah. it is genuinely, it's no latency plugin use. Yep. And I mean, you just have to buy the plugins or, or whatever comes free with it. And even the free ones that come with any sort of Apollo unit are really solid. You can do a 610 to 1176 to LA 2A uh, combo and it'd be absolutely free. Oh yeah. And it sounds amazing. It yeah. works really well. Practically speaking, I, I think that it's just absolutely amazing. Um, I think that's honestly the best of both worlds. Again, the only learning that you don't get out of that is actual routing, but yeah. you get the benefits of actually using it. Um, anyway, let's go back into the concept of, so I want to talk about other benefits of why you want to commit on the way in. Uh, another thing that I'm thinking about right now as well is when you're tracking, you're also producing, meaning that no matter how good your synth part sounds, Part of that sound and part of the artist or you as the producer getting the vibe right is how it's sounding. Like you may not be mixing to mix, but when you're producing, you're often going to find yourself turning up and down the volume of the track, Mm -hmm. you know, changing the gain staging, maybe even doing some EQ things as you're writing the song, producing the song um, in order to get the vibe. You may not call it mixing, but you're you're kind of doing small little mixing stuff. And I do think that that's another reason why you want to commit. For example, like if you want to you want to hear a vocal slightly more finished with an EQ and compressor recorded on the way in just so you can vibe to it a little bit yeah. more. You kind of get a better understanding of how it's going. And let's say it's not completely there, even if you do only half the compression that you eventually are going to do, and then you do the other half later, like there's a specific vibe that you get. That's This is why I ask for rough mixes as a mixer, right? I want rough mixes every single time I get a mix session, no matter how bad they think it is. Yeah. Because even if they thought it sounded bad and, and the artist was aware that it sounded bad, they they specifically did moves in that rough mix 
they wouldn't have sent it to me if they weren't vibing to it. If they didn't like the song in one way or another or saw potential in the song in one way or another, they wouldn't have sent it to me. Yeah. So what was it that they found? Um, maybe like Leslie Brathway talks a lot about this. Like if the hi-hat's really loud, they probably want to keep that. So it's like a reference point, right? Yeah. Um, and so I do think that when you commit to things, it saves you time in that sense. Uh, it helps you worry about it less. I do think that like also creating limitations uh, creates um, more creativity. Mm-hmm. I, I do like as a mixer, like I rarely ever want dry, totally dry tracks. Mm-hmm. Like I want wet tracks. Like you've, Leslie, Leslie Rathwood says like, hey, you've already done half the work. Why are you going to make me start over? Like, give yeah. me your wet stems. Give me your wet tracks. And uh, I think that concept has a lot to do with as well. Is there times, Lou, can you think of specific instances where it's better to record completely dry with no effects mm-hmm. uh, more than trying to commit to something? When are some times that it's, it's better to commit to absolutely dry? Uh, multi-track sessions like live bands uh, just in the event of like bleed and all that kind of stuff if you're putting on let's say like a reverb on the guitar and you thought oh let me keep it there if you didn't get a di maybe just go dry for that one maybe add a plug in to it and don't commit the sound directly in but i think it's in times where you know re-recording is a little bit harder this is actually a really great point i want to piggyback on this and I want to add specifically when recording tons of tracks mm-hmm. and you're unable to have isolated monitoring. Yeah. Meaning this happens all the time with like home studios or, or uh, co- studios that do not have a separate tracking room that has really great isolation. If I'm in the same room as the drummer, there's no way that I can hear what the compressor's actually doing in the headphones or on the speakers. And sometimes it actually messes you up even more. Yeah, so like in my first studio in Utah, like the tracking room was pretty isolated, but not so isolated that I was actually willing to commit to the compression on the drums. Yep. Because I could still hear the bleed of the snare of the kick drum loud enough that it would mess with how I'm hearing it out of my speakers. Yep. So I do think specifically that. That being said, if I had perfect isolation and I could hear exactly what I was recording, mm-hmm. I would I, in that situation, I feel like I would still commit to yeah. some sort of EQ and compression. But I would spend more time mic placement, getting yeah. the bleed to be right. Yeah. Um, another one would be tracking in a room that you can hear. That, that can sounds hear. really weird, but let's say a very lively room that's reverberant. Compression is just going to bring up the ambience of the room more. If the room is really dead and boxy, compression is going to bring that out a little bit. So unless it's intentionally part of what you're after, um maybe don't do so much compression so you can worry about audio restoration later and then add compression again later. Okay. So to to break this down, if you're in a bad room and, or like you want to remove more of the room, if you compress then gate, that's not, that's yeah. not as good as gating before you compress. So that yeah. that's actually a great point. If you don't have outboard gates and you're not able to control that completely and you have a bad room or you don't want to use the room as much or get the bleed as much, um, it's better to record raw than digitally gate them and rem- yeah. and remove that excess sound before compressing. Because if you do compress, you're increasing the amount of that room tone, that room verb. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually a really great point. Yeah. So it's not necessarily not committing to it, but most people aren't don't have outboard gates available. Yeah, like unless you know about the company Drummer, um, you probably don't. 
Yeah, or even if they, even if you do, it's like gates are not the most exciting outboard piece of gear to invest in. Like exactly. I don't know about you, I'm like, not gonna buy a gate. Valley People Dynamite is probably the most exciting one, and even then, uh, how many times have you seen people pull one out? <laughs> <laughs> so I do think. Uh, uh, so again, I think th- that's actually a really, really great point. But it's more about the order. We want to gate first, and typically outboard people don't have gates. And if yeah. you have a bad room. You want to gate and remove that room before you compress and thus committing to having it a harder time to gate and remove that room later. Exactly. Now, committing isn't something to be feared. It's actually something to embrace if you really think about it. Like a lot of what we talk about, it comes from both the idea of like, you know, the limitation creates more creativity and that's true. But there's also the case that like, honestly speaking, Nine times out of 10, it's not that bad, whatever you did. Like, you hear it because you're the one working on it. You're the one paying attention to it right now. But you know how many times I've gone and listened to a song and just thought that was a great song? Mm. Like, don't overthink it, you know? Don't don't think that committing to a compressor may make or break the record if the record wasn't the issue. You know what I mean? Like, a good song's a good song. We've heard so many records, like Master Blaster is one of my favorite songs. Um, one awesome name, because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, does he ever say Master Blaster outside of the hook? Like, like it's what, it's such just a, a, it's Stevie Wonder. But, like, the whole thing just sounds distorted and bad. But it's such a good record that... I really don't care if he messed up on the compression on the way in. I don't care if the EQ is so high that, like, I arguably sometimes think it's a little much because the song is so good that no matter what wrong they did, it's still a good song. Now, once again, focus on learning to commit and make better decisions and what was too much and what was too little and a good way to practice this, uh, this is what helped me out a lot, is learn to use inserts. You know, if you have outboard gear and you're trying to learn how to use it, just use an insert, dial it in with a dry recorded vocal, just gain and that's it. And then output it at the same exact level back to the outboard gear. And as long as you have the same reference input as when you were recording to when you're outputting it, technically you could dial in the compressor, ask them to do a new take, and it should be exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're wondering what the best settings on a compressor is or an EQ that you have for a specific vocalist or whatever, do a dry session. And then from there, find what you like and then test. You know, what is it, the scientific method? Create a a, a theory, test it based on that data, make a new theory, test it, make a new theory based on that data, test it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just repeat. That's all it is. Just repetition. The more you do it, the better you get. It's it's not overly complicated. And I don't mean to make it sound like it's a weird idea, but like, yo, fuck it up 50 times. So uh, I want to end this episode with two more things that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. One is when recording, I if you're not comfortable, mm-hmm. then compress or EQ less. Do yeah. what you think you'd like and then do half of that and commit to that and do the rest later. Yeah. It's because remember when you over compress, you can't undo the compression later. So, yep. uh, which brings me to point number two. If you and I were to hyper compress something, I am definitely will able and willing to commit to it because I know exactly what I want. Yep. And so this is another thing too. do not 
Do not commit to something unless you know for certain that this is what you want. Whether you do it for sonic taste mm -hmm. or practical benefit. Like, for example, I record rap vocals with compression in for practical benefit mm -hmm. as well as like sonic taste. Like the way that the compressor and the, pre the preamp changes the tone. Yeah. But, but also for the practical benefit of, a, of rapper rapping and, and they don't get too loud in the headphones or whatever. Yeah. Right? I could keep it controlled. Um, whether it's for taste or for practical benefit, like you have to know exactly why you're doing it. And if you're doing outboard stuff and committing to stuff without actually knowing why you're doing it, you're potentially hurting your mix. Yeah. Um, going back to point number one though, um, the most common thing that I've heard is on slow ballads where the singer is doing lots of long notes, eight, four out of five times it's over compressed. Yeah. I, I would say like, uh, Especially because, like, when they start hitting that long note, it like clamps down on the compressor, and it's just like all the dynamics are gone. Mm -hmm. And then all of the staccato stuff that they did earlier is now louder than the one loud note that's yep. supposed to be louder than everything else. Um, that's one of those cases where it's like if you're doing slow ballads, definitely commit yeah. less, like compress significantly, significantly less, and worry about attack and re release times at that point. Anyway. Other than that, uh, any other thoughts? Hmm. I think that's oh, kind of it for yeah. me. Yeah, to be honest, I had one, but I lost it. Um, but I guess it just goes back to like, just try it out. Just try it out. Doesn't matter if it's cheap gear, good gear, whatever. We have professionals in our industry where, DK, I'm sure you've seen this before, where we have like a big name uh, client engineer uh, showing up and it's like, oh, do you, what compressor do you want to run through? Do you want the TubeTech, the CLMB, the DBX? Like, what do you want? Oh, uh, nothing. Is there a way just to plug straight into the Apollo? It's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, we have all this available for you, all this. We're, we're basking 31 flavors, whatever. Um, you don't want to bask in any of these flavors. Like, uh, no worries, you know, but even if you thought that not tracking with outboard gear made you less professional, I, I kid you not, you wouldn't believe some of the people that come to our studio, with accolades galore up the wazoo and you know they still just go straight through an apollo so don't overthink it but if you're looking to get better at outboard gear like i said earlier mess it up for 50 times if you have to just get more comfortable with the idea of committing yeah i i will say that that's actually a really great point if you're going to mess it up, experiment and mess it up. It's better to mess it up when you're doing free or very, very cheap projects or while you're doing this as a hobby. It's a lot more expensive and a lot more painful and can cost you a lot more if you don't have that practice and you mess up when you're actually put on the spot for a big session. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad I am messed up so often and didn't get the best results that I wanted and I learned why over compressing on the way in for ballad vocals like I'm, I'm glad that i have that information now yeah when i'm put on the spot with these higher end sessions than when i was not so yeah. may, go ahead and make the mistakes now um to me uh how do you define hustling for me the definition of hustling is the rate at which you make mistakes so accelerate your mistake making just try different things learn from it hustle 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 um, this episode is brought to you by the Mixing Music Podcast. If you're interested in this content, and if you want three times the amount of episodes, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive to subscribe to our exclusive only episodes. We release two extra episodes on top of our weekly free episode, and they're 100% all technical tips brought to you by 
Flint Mastering, Braden Flint from Flint, Flint Mastering. He does a phenomenal job on those episodes. He just kills it. It's great. We have a bunch of amazing guests, names like Jason Joshua, Dave Pensado, just to name a few, Tony Maserati, Manny Mariquin. Uh, what we do is actually we take clips from interviews with these people and then we expand on them and we talk about why they brought it up or how you can use it today and take away. So it's really, really great if you're looking for more technical tips there from uh, outside people. Uh, it's only $4 a month or $40 a year. We already have a significant amount of people signed up. Join the other crew. You get access to these totally exclusive episodes. Uh, other than that, if you're interested in subscribing to Lou and I's YouTube channels. Lou is youtube.com forward slash at Master by Lou. Mine is at DK Mixes. Um, we have a lot more content coming your way, both from each of us yeah. independently. If you have any questions or have any feedback, you can join our Discord channel and talk to us there or just DM us on Instagram. We try to get to as many people as we can from Instagram. Just do be patient with us. On that note, I think that's it from us. Uh, oh, yeah. We're excited for... A happy 2023. Hopefully everybody's had some solid goals, made some solid goals and able to commit to them all through this year. We wish you the very best, most happiness that you could ever have for yourself and pride in your work. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.